Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. It is God's word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for my life today and open my heart to hear God speak a word, reveal Jesus to me, and fill me with the Holy Spirit so that my life will be changed forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Maurice, can you bring me down just a little bit? I feel like I'm shouting at myself. And I don't know if it's just me, but I don't want to shout. I'm already kind of loud to begin with. You, you guys know that, right? Well, listen, let me ask you a question. Aren't you glad that witnessing or being a witness for Christ isn't solely and only up to you? Come on, aren't you glad about that? Some of you are like, preach it, Pastor Robert. That's exactly what I'm glad about. I mean, think about it. If reaching people only requires you, you will never, ever reach enough people. Isn't that true? I'm so glad that Jesus pulled together a church to work together to become a witness for the kingdom of heaven on earth. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is at the pinnacle of his ministry. And the public has become very aware of his authoritative teachings. They've become very aware of the signs and wonders, the miracles that he's performing. The public has become very aware of the fact that Jesus really has a big heart for the marginalized, for the sinners of the day, And they're very aware that Jesus was very different from the religious church of the day. Well, one day, Jesus is with his disciples, and he turns to them, and he asks them a very important question. He says, guys, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, if you didn't know, the Son of Man is referring to himself And that was an Old Testament prophetic title and description of the coming Messiah. So Jesus asked them, who's everybody say that I, the Son of Man, am? And the response that the disciples gave him was quite interesting. They said, some say you're John the Baptist. He was dead. Others say Elijah. How many know he was dead too? And some even say you're Jeremiah. All three of those guys were already dead. And what's interesting about that, it tells Jesus and the disciples that although the public was aware of Jesus, they still didn't know who Jesus really was. And so Jesus really kind of narrows the question. And he says, okay, who do you say that I am? And Peter, just like many, many times, he was the first one to blurt it out. But this time, 
He couldn't have been more correct. And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now think about that. Peter caught two things. Not only was he convinced that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the long-awaited anointed one, but he also caught something that was really incredible. He caught that if the God of all creation, the God of the universe had a son on earth, Jesus was him. And the response that Jesus gave to him was incredible. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And on this rock, come on, if you know it, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Come on, that's a good place for an amen. Amen. We've been talking about the last few weeks, the public place, subtitle, Becoming Fishers of Men. And we catch this because Jesus told his disciples, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me. Learn from me. Watch how I do it. Listen to how I communicate. Watch how I interact with the lost, with the sinners, with people. Pay attention to how I demonstrate God's love in a very real, authentic way. Follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. The public place is simply this. It's where God sends his church to demonstrate the love of God and share the gospel to a lost and dying world. It's a series of teachings that really build upon the secret place and the gathering place. Remember what the secret place is? It's important because the secret place spills over into the gathering place. The secret place is where we meet daily and deeply with God. We open up our hearts. We have some complaints. We have some prayers. We receive the word and the ministry of the spirit. And we're refilled and we're refueled by the word and by the spirit. And that secret place How many of you can testify? It will pour over into the gathering place. It gives you a greater hunger to gather with God's people. It gets you ready to gather with God's people. And the gathering place is where we worship God and we minister to one another. The secret place, the gathering place, and now God sends us into, come on, say it with me, the public place. All of these are essential if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission and reach people with the love and the power of God. Now, it's important for us to realize this. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he didn't use the English word. We have to remember that the New Testament is in Aramaic or in the Greek. He said, I will build my ecclesia. That's the Greek word for the word church, E. K-K-L-E-S-I-A. Come on, say it with me, church. Ekklesia. It comes from two small Greek words, ek, E-K, and that means out from. And the second Greek word is kaleo, and that means to call. 
So the church, ecclesia, simply means we're an assembly of believers, the body of Christ, that have been called out from the world, and now we're in the body of Christ, and we belong to Jesus. Can somebody say amen? That's the ecclesia. So I want to talk to you today from this standpoint. The ecclesia, God's collective witness. Collective witness. Say those two words with me. Come on, say them with me. Collective witness. And, and more specific, I want to share with you three things that we need to know that will help us if we want to become an effective collective witness. Collective meaning we are a unified body. We're a unified family. We're a unified group of believers working together, locking arms, locking hearts, locking giftings, and together, collectively, we are becoming an effective witness for Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Now, for those of you who are a little more timid, or you might be a little bit more of an introvert, or you just say, you're not like me. You're not like me. You're not, I'm not like you, Pastor Robert. I, that's, that's okay. You don't have to be like me. And, and I have some good news for you. Being a witness is not something I only do by myself. It's something I do collectively with my church. You don't have to always be by yourself pointing people to Jesus. You don't have to be overly concerned about having to be the only one pointing people to Jesus. As a matter of fact, speaking about church, when Jesus went to church as a baby, which nursery rhyme do you think Jesus heard the most? Come on, say it loud. Did y'all know that? Mary had a little lamb. Now, joking aside, joking aside, being a collective witness takes more than just the pastor, amen? It takes more than just one leader. For example... Uh, we have a parents' night out coming up. I've been part of parents' night out for the last couple of years. This is a great ministry that we offer this community as a collective witness. We gather and we take in children from the community all the way out from Clover, some of them from Cherville, some of them from uh, Concord, and then all in between. They come and they drop off their kids, and we minister to them the love of God. We got arts and crafts, the babies we rock. We've got devotionals that are suited for them to catch and for them to receive and learn about the love of God. Together, not just Krista, our children's ministry leader, not just David, but together we're a collective witness and we're demonstrating God's love. As a matter of fact, if you're here today or you catch this later on Facebook and you say, hey, sign me up, I want to help. Well, we need your help. We've got some new families that have signed up. And we've got another one coming up in the next week or so. And we can use some more adults in there, get their background checked, and come and lend a hand. Some of you might say, Pastor Robert, I don't know how to minister to kids. You don't have to know how to minister to kids. Do you know how to just smile and demonstrate God's love and be an assistant and be a support and be a help? You qualify. We need someone to come and help us with our parents' night out. That's important because when we do that, we are witnessing collectively to everyone who comes. Not only are we witnessing to the children, but we're witnessing to the parents and to the family, and we're planting seeds. You know, the Bible says that one man plants, another man waters, but God brings the increase. Now, I want to ask you this. Why is building the church so important to Jesus? Well, I think there's more than one answer, 
But I will say that one of the reasons is because his church is meant to be the greatest witness to the world of the love and the reality of God. Do you agree with that? Say, I do. Isn't that true? You know, the Bible says that God is invisible. Nobody can see him in physical form. That being said, in 1 John 4, 12, it says no one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God abides in us. God takes up residence on the inside of us. God makes his home at us and his love has been perfected or matured. When we demonstrate a lifestyle of love, when we demonstrate a lifestyle of Jesus with one another and beyond, even though we can't see God physically, people can see God living through a lifestyle of love. So one of the main reasons why Jesus is building the church is because the church is meant to be one of the greatest witnesses for the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, track with me with this. If Jesus declared that he would build his church and collectively were to be a witness, then it begs the question, how does Jesus build his church? Let's look at it real closely. Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 18, and we're going to discover the answer. Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Literally, that means son of Jonah. Simon's father had a name, and his name was Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Listen, for flesh and blood, in other words, your human father's teachings has not revealed this to you. But my father in heaven, I could say this, has revealed this to you. And I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S. That's the Greek word for the name Peter. If you didn't catch it, catch it. Jesus is changing his name from Simon to Petros, Peter. And Petros means a stone or a small stone or a pebble. And then Jesus goes on and he says, And by the way, on this rock, that's the Greek word Petra, P-E-T-R-A. And Petra is a large rock or a large foundational size rock. On this rock, I will build my church. Now, if you don't look into this a little deeper and you don't study it, you might be inclined to say, well, Jesus is going to build his church on Peter. As a matter of fact, the Catholic tradition believes this. But we don't believe scripturally that that pans out because Jesus never promised to build his church on any one individual. Amen? This doesn't even make sense. And when you look at the Greek words here, and you can follow with what Jesus is saying, although he changed his name from Simon to Peter Stone, he says, and on this rock, different Greek term, Petra, large rock, foundational rock, I will build my church. The rock that Jesus was referring to, catch it, was the rock of the revelation of who Jesus was. 
So you can write this down if you're taking notes. The church is built on revelation of Jesus Christ. Some of you might think, Pastor Robert, revelation, that sounds like a big spiritual word. Well, it is, but it's not something we can't understand. We experience it all the time. The word revealed in this text is the Greek word apokalupto. Say it with me. Apokalupto. It's a fun word to say. And it means to take the cover off something or to pull back the curtain in order to disclose or unveil something. The Father, by the Spirit, pulled back the cover. He unveiled to, to Simon in that moment the reality of who Jesus was. He's the Christ. He's the Anointed One. He's the Messiah. He was the one with the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power and message of God on his life. And Peter caught that by revelation. How do you know it was by revelation? Because Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. In other words, it didn't come by your own human understanding. It didn't come by your own wisdom. It didn't come by your own smarts or you trying to figure it out. It didn't come by your father teaching you. It came by the revealed power of God by the Spirit. That's how he got it. So the church is so important to Jesus because the church is supposed to become this collective witness of the love and the power of God in the earth. And the way that Jesus builds the church is through revelation of who he is. This is why the secret place is so important. This is why you'll always hear us preaching and teaching the necessity, the importance of reading Bible and investing time with the Lord and learning how to press in and study the scriptures and catch things from God. When you're studying the scriptures and you're praying, Revelation comes. Revelation will flood your heart and you'll begin to see things about Jesus and God and the scriptures and yourself that you could have never seen in and through your own efforts, no matter how much diligent study you give to it. Oh, don't get me wrong. You'll catch some things up here. But the revelation he's talking about comes in here, in your spirit. Now, why is this revelation so important in the building of the church? Well, think about it. If the followers of Jesus don't know who he is, how can they represent him effectively to the world? This is why it's so important that each of us plays a part. This is why so important of us finds out what our gifting is because collectively when we gather and we serve one another and we serve people that come to this house, whether we realize it or not, God is using us to collectively point people to Jesus so that they can catch revelation of who Jesus is. For example, we could use a couple of more people greeting. We could use a person who's willing to come in a couple of times a month and make some coffee for us. Pastor Robert, that's not very significant. I don't want to just be a coffee maker. Well, if you look at it in the natural, you might think that it's not significant. But track with me. Let's say you come in early, you make some coffee, you set it out, you get it all cleaned up, and the refreshments are ready to go. And then some of our visitors, some of our guests, some of our family come in. They make their way over to the coffee. They get a good, nice, tasty cup of coffee. And they're meeting some other people and saying good morning. And they make their way into the sanctuary, and the greetings continue. And then all of a sudden, we're singing songs. And hearts are lifted, and burdens are lifted. And minds are being renewed. And people are receiving hope and faith. And then they're hearing a word. 
a teaching from the scriptures that will encourage them and strengthen them in their faith and in their walk with God. Now, if you step back and you look at it through the eyes of Jesus, he would say in that case, the person who's making the coffee and the person who's preaching the word are just as valuable in the grand scheme of things when it comes to being a collective witness. Can somebody say amen? So it's so important. If you're not playing a part yet, you need to step in because God's meant for the church to be a collective witness. We can all work together so that people can receive ongoing revelation of who Jesus is. Now, here's the second thing I think it's important that we know. The church is still being built. The church is still being built. Jesus hasn't completed the project. There are still people to reach. Can somebody say amen? There are still people to love. There are still people to pray for. There are still people that need to be brought into the kingdom of God. How many of you know Krista Denning? David and Krista. Krista's our L Kids ministry director. And uh, <clears throat> Krista was brought up in a Catholic church, but their family wasn't so consistent. Um, her mom really loved Jesus, but she wasn't really consistent with the Catholic rituals and the tradition. As a matter of fact, it got to the point where they really only attended like, you know, like a CEO. Christmas and Easter only, right, to the big events. And that's kind of what happened. That was their pattern. And so Krista got older, and her words, not mine, she kind of became a wild child. And uh, I can relate. I don't know if you can, but I can. And uh, so time went by. She grew up. She became a teenager, a young lady. And she met David, who's now her husband. Well, David's family was rich in the ministry. His grandmother had a coffee shop How do you say coffee? How do you say it? Coffee. Let me spell it. C-A-W-F-E-E. You got it? That's how I'm trying to say it. She would say her, her, her family had a, his family had a coffee shop, right? And what was cool about this coffee shop church is they would minister to homeless people. They would minister to people that were kind of marginalized, people in need. And they would come and they would read the scriptures and they would pray for people. Now, Krista's being exposed to all of that. Never really experienced that in the Catholic church upbringing. And this is all new to her. And God's beginning to do something in her life. Well, fast forward. She gets married to David and, and, and her mother-in-law, Patricia, she just loves Jesus. She's not pushy, but she would continually point Krista back to Jesus. And Jesus is doing something in Krista's life. Um, she's still trying to figure some things out like we all are. Well, as she's getting grounded in that ministry and she's beginning to be pulled in by the Lord, the thing that she didn't want to happen happened. Uh, David got a promotion and they had to move to Charlotte, North Carolina. So now she's away from all of her family. She's over here. She's a a, a young wife, and she's really lonely. She feels really alone and isolated. She didn't know what to do. So she just decided that she's going to look for a church. So she went online, and she searched something along the line of Christian fellowships, plural, hoping to find some churches. Well, she kind of zeroed in on Lakeshore Christian Fellowship in Tiga Cay, South Carolina. That's our main campus. So she tells David, they make a decision, and they're going to go to the TKK campus. First time they go, she's like, why are these people so nice? What do they want from us? She couldn't believe the love and the receptivity that she was receiving from all of the team that was collectively being a witness for Jesus in her life. Well, that Sunday came and went. They went back. They kept going back. She always went to the same area in 
the church building and sat in the same area of pews. We don't have anybody that does that here, so don't even worry about it. So she kind of got to know people, but not very many people because she always sat in the same area. Well, they loved it so much, they kept going back. And then one particular night, Lakeshore, Tika K was going to have a night of worship. It was on a Friday night. A little different, a little more focused and extended worship time, kind of soaking in the presence of the Lord and prayer and stuff like that. She was so excited, and that morning David got sick. And they made a decision that they weren't going to be able to go. An hour before it started, she mustered up the strength, and she went anyways. But this was her plan. She had Maya by that time, and so she just strapped Maya to her hip, and she figured that would give her the buffer she wanted. She still had a guard. She didn't know these people, and she didn't really want to get too close to anybody. She dropped Gavin off, and she kept Maya with her. She went to the worship service all by herself. Her words, not mine. God revealed himself to her in a very special and real way that night during the middle of a worship service. She said that that was exactly for me. The words that Pastor Gil was speaking were the words that I needed to hear. And then she just kind of asked God for a sign. She needed to know, are you with me? Are you with me in this? I feel so alone. I'm searching. I feel so empty. And she said that she felt some pressure on the back of her shoulder as if someone maybe went up to her and was kind of supporting her and just letting her know that he was there. Well, she kind of did one of these. She didn't see anybody on this side. And then she did one of these. And she didn't see anybody on that side either. And then she just kind of leaned back, expecting to fall. And she didn't. And she knew that she knew that she knew. The presence of God was there with her and impacting her in a very real way. Well, she got to know the Copley family. She became really great friends with them. Krista received Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. She got water baptized in Lake Wiley by Dean Copley. And the rest is, as they say, his story, history. And today, Krista serves the Lord with all of her heart, with all of her soul, and with all of her strength. How did that happen? Let me tell you, the church was a collective witness. It wasn't just Pastor Gill. It wasn't just the worship team. There was children's ministers involved. There was maintenance people that cleaned the campus before that night happened. There were people that passed out bulletins at the door. There were people that were greeting. There were people that were praying. There's so many things that go involved into being a collective witness as a church so that people can have a revelation of Jesus and be impacted by the God of grace. Can somebody say amen? So powerful. So if you aren't in the game yet, if you're part of our family and you want to be a witness, listen, being a collective witness with your church family is one of the easiest and one of the most powerful ways that you can get in the game and begin to impact people's lives with us as a church family. Here's the last thing I want to share with you this morning. And this is kind of a double whammy, so pay attention. It's really powerful. Last thing we need to know, if we're going to be an effective collective witness, okay? The church is invincible and transformational. Look at it with me. Matthew chapter 16. Verses 18 and 19. Jesus' response from the scripture. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Listen to the promise. 
And the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, or the gates of death, shall not prevail against it. Some other translations say, the powers of hell will not overcome it, will not overcome the church. Well, this is good news. It's good for news for you individually because you're part of the church. And it's good news for us collectively because together we make up a witnessing church. He goes on and he says in verse 19, catch this. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What do keys do? Come on, shout it out. They open and close. They lock and unlock. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth, bind means forbid. Whatever you forbid on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Loose in this context means permit. So Jesus is basically passing off some of his authority from the kingdom of heaven to the disciples. And he knows his time is short. He's got about six more months and that's going to be it. And he's leaving. And so he wants for the disciples to understand two things. First is, no matter what happens, let me put it this way. No matter what happens, come hell or high water, the church is invincible. The church will not be defeated. The church cannot be stopped. And not only that, but the church cannot be stopped from advancing as a collective witness bombarding the gates of hell and bringing people out. Can somebody say amen? I mean, think about that. What are gates for? Gates serve as protection. Gates many times are a defense. Did you know that the church is supposed to be on offense, keeping the enemy on defense? But if we don't have a renewing of our mind, we'll always live on the defense, recognizing that the enemy is on the offense. But that's not the truth. The truth is that the the enemy is on the defense and the church is equipped with the power of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We've been given authority in the name of Jesus and in the blood of Jesus and the word of Jesus to take authority over the enemy, especially as it has to do with our own personal life, first and foremost. If there are areas in your life, you got to recognize that you're part of the church. And that you have the authority in the name of Jesus, in the word of God, by the blood of Jesus, to pronounce victory and to move past the enemy and move on into what God has for you as a victorious son or daughter of God. The church is invincible. No matter what's gone on through all of the ages, all of the different efforts that the enemy has tried to do to to thwart the church, to, to do away with the church, the church will never be conquered. Amen. And not only that, but the church is transformational. Come on, how many of you, I know none of us are perfect, but how many of you since being in the church, being part of the family of God, are experiencing at least a little bit of transformation in your life? Come on, everybody, everybody. Transformation. You know the Bible says in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do you experience transformation? Well, there isn't any one answer, but one of the ways is by renewing your mind. 
It's your stinking thinking that keeps you from transformation. You know, one of the things I like to do is I just like to remind myself that I have the mind of Christ. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. Doesn't it say that, Jackie? That we have the mind of Christ. Another thing I like to do is I like to remind myself, it says in your word, if you, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind, whose mind is fixed on you. That's Isaiah 26, 3. How about 2 Timothy 1, 7? It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound Mind, that's 2 Timothy 1.7. How about Romans 8.6? Listen to this. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. How about Colossians 3.2? It says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Over and over and over, we're told in the scriptures that if we want to experience transformation from the inside out, we have to start by renewing our minds. If you want to experience more transformation in the church family, you have to renew your mind. Read the Word. Study the Word. Meditate on the Word. Listen to faith-filled preaching. Renew your mind with God's Word. When fear and anxiety and worry tries to attack you, what do you do? You take out the sword of the Spirit, that's the Scripture, and you speak it. You can't be in doubt and in faith at the same time if you're speaking God's Word. But you won't even know what to say if you're not renewing your mind with God's word. Amen? How many of you believe that the church, the church of Jesus, is special? Anybody believe that? There's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed, and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing And wholeness. I know what governments do is important. Writing legislation for the good of society is a noble, worthy task. Public service is honorable, but it's not enough. Politicians can do great things, but it's not enough. Businessmen can provide sorely needed jobs, but it's not enough. Wise educators can teach useful knowledge of the world. Self-help programs can offer effective methods of behavior modification. But can any of it truly transform the heart? Only one power exists on this sorry planet that can do it. And it's the power of the love of Jesus Christ. The love that conquers sin and wipes our shame and heals wounds and reconciles enemies and patches broken dreams and ultimately changes the world one life at a time. And what grips my heart every day is the knowledge that this radical message of the transforming power of the love of God has been given to the church. And that means in a very real way that the future of the world rests in the hands of local congregations like ours. It's the church or it's lights out. Without the churches filled with the power of God, that they can't help but spill the goodness and the peace and the love of God into the world. 
Depravity will win the day. Evil will flood the world. But it doesn't have to be that way. Strong, growing communities of faith can turn the tide of history. They can. Don't bother looking elsewhere. He says the church is it. The church is the hope of the world. That's an excerpt from a pastor's book by the name of Bill Hybels. I think I just want to say this as we're getting ready to leave. The church is built on the revelation of who Jesus is. The more revelation that we have of Jesus, the greater our effective collective witness will be. The church is still being built. Find your place. Jump in with us. Help us to bring revelation of Jesus to all who come beyond the walls of the church, even out in the public, especially out in the public when we're not here on Sunday. And the last thing, don't forget, the church can never be defeated and the church is transformational. Nothing else transforms a human heart like the church of Jesus when he's working through them. Amen. Have you been blessed by the word today? Go ahead and stand to your feet as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you for uh, meeting with us in worship. Thank you for bringing healing and restoration, spirit, soul, and body. And we thank you for the ministry of the word. We thank you that you're faithful to watch over your word to bring it to pass. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would encourage each of us to open our hearts and allow the Spirit of Christ to help us and to make us to become fishers of men. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.